You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello there and happy Wednesday. Today is Wednesday, April 20th, and we have eight days, eight days into the 2022 NFL Draft. Earlier today, Eagles General Manager Howie Roseman and Head Coach Nick Sirianni spoke with the Philly media and are at the podium with a pre-draft presser that's locked, loaded, and ready for you. I'm your host, Rachel Prevet, and this podcast is brought to you by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. Howie Roseman, who did majority of the talking because majority of the questions were towards him, was asked about his confidence in safeties Anthony Harris and Marcus Epps moving forward. He explained his decision to trade one of the Eagles' first-round picks to the New Orleans Saints, and he was asked about his experience drafting players with injuries, like Landon Dickerson and Sidney Jones. Nick Sirianni touched on his personal approach to scouting and how hands-on he is in the process. He also touched on what type of player he values, and he was asked what side of the ball needs most improvement. Take a listen. I don't think we've talked to you since the trade with Orleans. We just talked about, you know, what what that does for you flexibility-wise. Yeah, I think – we were kind of looking at the this year and next year and the amount of picks that we had in this year's draft and um, trying to kind of balance it a little bit for a variety of factors. Um, when you look at having first-round picks in the fifth-year option, um, having that many um, guys on a fifth-year option, also kind of balancing just uh, scouting all the players in this draft and next year's draft uh, and having more options and more flexibility at all positions, kind of giving a head start and looking at next year's draft too and seeing that um, it's strong as well as this year's draft. So um, we thought it made sense, you know, obviously from a New Orleans standpoint, um, we look back, there hadn't been really a team that had um, moved back that far um, for a first round pick. So it made sense for them too. And um, hopefully a win-win situation. How much specifically did the quarterback position and being able to have the flexibility there next year, if you need it, factor into the decision? Yeah, we're excited about Jalen Hurts, you know, and um, uh, we're going to support Jalen and and want him to have a a great career in Philly. And this was about flexibility for our team and um, about making sure that we had resources um, to improve our team for not only this year's draft, but next year's draft going forward. We thought it made a lot of sense. Howie, when when you look at um, certain positions heading into the draft, you know, defensive back, wide receiver positions, you didn't really address too much in free agency. How important do those picks become? you know, heading into the draft, you know, is there more of a priority on those positions than maybe others? Well, you can't really predict what other teams are going to do. And you can't be in a situation where you have to do something. Um, You know, certainly when you look at at some of the mistakes um, that I've made personally, it's because you try to force something. So you can only do what what the board allows you to do. And 
Um, there's obviously a lot of time between uh, now and the time the, f- the first game starts for us to continue to address te- the needs of this team. And uh, we'll go into the draft and um, we'll follow the board. And we'll, we've had a lot of discussions, a lot of um, good discussions about the players in this draft. And uh, we just got to make sure we take the best players and not look at the drafts as just a short-term fix. How are you going up that, uh, uh, this draft? Less. With, uh, um, Brandon Brown, with the Giants, uh, he was part of your draft process until February. Now he's in a, another team in the division. How big a problem is that uh, for your draft situation? And how do you – is there any way to minimize it? Didn't I send him a – uh, thank you, no, for all he's done. Are you back? Uh, as, uh, well, Brady did it, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot of the draft right there. <laughs> Do you think he had that? He, yeah, he had that right here already? He has it going. Um, I was really just thinking about you being here, which was unexpected. So you, how did Brandon Brown affect us? Did you yeah, ask about it, Ian, too, or just it, Brandon? Is this a problem for you uh, in preparing for this draft? He knows a lot about what you're thinking and what your priorities have been up until February. Uh, how do you handle that? Um, you know, I think that that that's part of what happens when you lose good people is that um, a, when you have good people around you, you try to embrace that and um, have them as part of every discussion that's going on, whether it's about your team and your roster or about free agency or about the draft. Uh, but when you talk about February, too, there is that part of the process that coach and his staff haven't totally dove into it yet. Um, the final boards aren't set. You don't have this kind of you know, seesaw of where you ha- you have obviously the, the scouting and the tape, but you don't also have all the information of the character and the intangibles and the testing. So um, to say that everything's exactly the same as it was when he and Ian left, it's not. Um, obviously, the, the coaches are a big part of our process. And um, really, uh, uh, the amount of work the coaches do in this is, is a huge part of complementing the scouts, just like we talk about that seesaw with you know the tape and the testing we also talk about having the coaches balance it with how they see guys in their scheme so um we miss brandon we miss ian um also happy for them and their families for the opportunity and um at the end of the day uh, whatever we got to do for this team we'll continue to do talk specifically about positions of need um one in particular is safety at least apparent to us right but that being said uh typically you go into the drafts at least having those needs covered um, are you comfortable with Anthony Harris and Marcus Epps being your guys right now going into the draft? Well, I think we have we have other defense backs there too. You know, we drafted Kayvon Wallace. Um, we we got two guys. We brought Andre in here from Indy. Um, we've got Jared Maiden um, here as well. And that's even before the draft. And and obviously, you know, we got a long time till we play a game. But we like those guys. Um, that's why we brought Anthony back. That's why we signed him in the first place. Um, that's why we drafted Kayvon um, Marcus. He's a guy who played a lot of football for us last year. We're excited about him too. And so, um, you know, I, I don't know that necessarily we perceive it uh, the same way maybe that you described. To backtrack, Howie, to, to the loss of Ian and Brandon, uh, you've talked about how, how this offseason you have a better sense of, of the coaching staff and, and what they want in terms of players. Is it fair to say that with those guys gone, the coaching staff, their voice carries a little bit more weight this draft process than last year? No, the, the coaching staff has always, always been our partners in this, and I think for us that that did, was the same when Brandon and Ian were here. That's the same now. Um, you know, I think for for coach and his staff, like being part of the process and um, giving us their perspectives is huge. I mean, at the end of the day, like as much as we could like a player, if there's not a scheme fit, if there's not a role, if there's not a vision, then it doesn't matter. You know, because we're not down on that field. And um, I think the the partnership that we have with our coaching staff is special. 
Um, it's been a really fun process, but um, the coaches also deferred to the fact that these guys spend a lot of time and know these guys really well. And um, our scouting staff, our coaching staff, the amount of hours they put in together. So, um, you know, I, again, I feel like it's very balanced in terms of the inputs from both those sides. Uh, yeah, I've talked about what side of the football do you as the head coach think the team needs to improve more in the draft? Well, you know, you're always looking to make your make your team better as, as good as you possibly can. And, uh, you know, so you're looking at all accounts. And then, so I, w I don't think it's fair for me to say, oh, well, OK, offense is more important than defense or defense is more important than offense. Uh, we're just looking, uh, obviously, to, to get our team better. And, and how do you do that? You get that with uh, good players. That's not answering the question. Yeah, I mean, I you do have some thoughts bit. on which don't, side don't you, you think needs improving. Right. Again, go and going back to uh, again, you, you you think about the players that you need, the players that you want, the player. It, it, but one thing I can say is, and again, I don't think that's fair for me to say right now. Again, I think thirty-one other teams would want me to give that answer to you, Howard. But uh, and and you know, with them listening. But one thing that is very important um, is obviously the talent of the player but then also the the characteristics of the player right and and those are things that are are there for you to find out in the scouting process do they have high football iq do they have good character are they tough those are things that you really can can see and and find out and then in addition do they love football and are they competitive and so again i think i've said this before my experience is guys that have those five traits um they they maximize their potential and so that, that's what we want. We want to be able to get guys in here that can maximize the potential, both offensively, defensively, and special teams. Well, did he answer the question, Howard? <laughs> I mean, is that a new sports machine jacket? Is that, yeah, is that yeah. new? I'm bringing back retro. Yeah. <laughs> Experience you've had with both Atlanta Dickerson and Sidney Jones. What variables do you take into account with these uh, draft process injuries, and, and specifically with? say David Ajabo or Jameson Williams, how do you account for maybe not just the physical recovery, but whether it's, it's, it's the confidence or, or the return to form after the injury? I think the more time you have between the injury and the draft, the more information you get. So for us um, with Landon, the timing of that was a little different than the timing with Sydney, and it allowed you to see more of the progress of where it was um, based on the testing. Um, obviously two different positions, different injuries. And so you take that all, all into account um, when you're looking at it. And then the value has to be right. You know, the value of the player and the, and how we kind of feel the player fits for us and what kind of player we think that player was pre-injury, how we base on our performance and our medical staff, who we have a lot of trust in, how they project that player to come back. And, um, you know, the drafts guess work as it is. You're talking about taking guys, changing their environment, moving them from college to the NFL, putting money in their pocket, giving them more free time, changing schemes, and now you have another variable. So you got to balance that as well. You look at your first uncertainty, um, the top of the draft, obviously you're at 15, so you got to deal with 14 picks. It seems like this year is a little bit more uncertain when you look around the league. Do you – do you see that with the board? Like last year, Trevor was consensus, you know, pretty much number one. Do you see more uncertainty uh, uh, in this year? 
Uh, we see maybe the team's uncertainty about who particular teams are going to take, uh, less so necessarily who we think those players would be, if that makes sense. Yeah, and that's what I was talking about. Those teams in front of you, are, do you have a better feel or a worse feel for on in a typical year for what they think? Is it more difficult is what I'm trying to say. Uh, I think that um, there's consistency in terms of, of the players that we see going probably in the top 20. You know, now a couple of those could change, but I, I don't think it's so drastically different um, in terms of the players that are going to go in the top 20. I think where it will start to change is after that. I think you're going to see a lot of different boards. Um, guys, Some guys that are going between 21 and maybe 51 where we pick in the second round, you'll see a, a lot of uh, variables that go into those picks. I uh, to follow up on that too, is I've heard a lot of comparisons, um, seen a lot of comparisons from this draft to 2013. Uh, you seem very sure about how you see the draft playing out. You guys were able to navigate sure anything, Jeff. You were able to navigate yeah. that step. <laughs> You were able to navigate that draft, which turned in the long run not to be very strong. That ended up being one of your better drafts. How do you feel about that in relation to to, to this draft? Definitely a backhanded compliment. Appreciate that. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, I think that people think about the 2013 draft because of the, of the quarterback position. And um, if, I, if I remember correctly, Buffalo traded back in that draft and took E.J. Manuel and, and – um, I think that people are talking about this, like when will the quarterbacks go? And so when anyone ever talks about drafts, they start with the quarterbacks and feeling like the quarterbacks are kind of uh, the anchor of any draft. And so um, there's some uncertainty about where the quarterbacks go in this draft. And uh, I think for for us, you know, we just go by um, our rankings and what we think is the right way to stack the board. And we'll be prepared um, to take our 15th player at 15 and our 18th player at 18. Howie, curious to get your uh, your take on the the boom and wide receiver contracts of late, and how that kind of you know shapes your opinion of the value of, of drafting a wide receiver. Yeah, I think uh, every year uh, position kind of um, becomes like I, I like that word the boom. It's like the new mining town, right? It's like um, it, it becomes you know it, you have pass rushers, you have offensive linemen, and now you got wide receivers, and so um, I think at the end of the day, like, um, we talked about this a little bit. Um, when we were at the league meetings, it's just, you know, you got to make a, a, a decision, you know, on what your priorities are on building the team and um, whether you're going to kind of go with the flow or you're going to kind of figure out what is the most important thing for your team. And if there's some value in being different and uh, figuring out what now is kind of the next area. And um, I think we spent a lot of time. You know, Coach and I talk about this all the time. Like, you know, if if we're going to be the same as everyone else, we're probably going to finish in the middle of the pack. And sometimes, you got to take risks and you got to kind of stand out there and do something different than everyone else. And so, that doesn't mean that there aren't right decisions to make at that position. But at the same time, if you're if you're doing the same thing that everyone else is doing, you're probably you know a step late. I'm, I'm curious about you've been very active, obviously, on on draft day with trades. I'm curious about the process. How much of that work happens before the draft? How much are you crafting those trades as things go on? Mm -hmm. How many different plans do you have? How many people are involved in all that? And and just what what that process is like. In the first round, um, we've always found that it's helpful to have those trades mapped out beforehand. And uh, the way that goes isn't like, hey, we're definitely doing this. It's um, you know, if we're moving up, hey, if there's a player that we that we want that falls to that spot, here's what we would do. Are we good on the trade compensation so that you pick up the phone and I say, hey, 
uh, Nick, you know, um, the guy's still there. You guys good? Yeah, trade's done. So you're not sitting there and going, you know, we think it should be this and this, and they think it should be this and this. It's too hectic to do that in the first round. Now, after the first round, it's probably too hard to map those out. So um, when you get into the second round, third round, and beyond, it's um, those things do happen on the clock because they're simpler. But when it gets into the first round, uh, all those conversations will be had uh, before the fact. Even our trade last year was kind of we, – we kind of set parameters of what that was. And so when we picked up the phone and called Dallas, we kind of knew what the trade was going to be and what the price was going to be and that we had discussed that. So I think that's the easier way to go in the first round so you're not in a situation where um, you know you guys are kind of scrambling because there's a lot to do when you're in the first round. You move up. You take a pick. Now you're on the clock. Now you gotta gotta get situated. You gotta call in the trade. You gotta make sure you know your guys there. So um, uh, that's how we do it. You know, my my feeling is that that's how a lot of teams do it, just based on the conversation we've had throughout the years. And I think it, it just makes it flow easier. How many different scenarios would you say you have, like ready to go, ready to spring, if if it works out? Um, you know, I, we have two picks, right? So I think you're you're planning every scenario about who you'd move up for who you'd be really comfortable staying, how many players you'd be comfortable staying, and, you know, what what are the tiers that you'd move back for and, and what you would take. You know, obviously, like, there there's a price that doesn't make sense to move back either. Um, you know, we're not going to move back 10 picks for a, a fifth-round pick. Um, so I think that at the end of the day, you kind of go through all those and you have a really good sense of, of what you want to do. And I, I think for us and New Orleans, that's that's was one of the comforts of the trade. Like we 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 both knew what we were comfortable for. We it, it didn't really matter what the trade chart said. They were comfortable with the deal, and we were comfortable with the deal. And I think those are the best trades. Going back to the last few weeks, you guys have used early picks on in the last couple of years. Are there lessons you can take away from those picks? And you've talked about how hard they are to evaluate. Um, you know, is there something you can take away from the last few years? Yeah, I think you, you're constantly evaluating the things that you do wrong. Um, and you also want to learn from the things you did right and and the lessons that you have from that. And, um, you know, we discussed that a lot about uh, the scenarios where um, we've done good things. And I'll, I'll obviously, you know, this, this is a hard process. Like you're going to mess things up. But what can you learn from those picks that didn't work out? Um, I would say, you know, with Jalen, um, obviously I know he gets a lot of attention in the city and, um, I know he's working his butt off. And, um, you know, when you look back, we were having this conversation this morning with our strength and conditioning staff, like uh, that was, that was a hard year for some guys because, uh, you had COVID, you didn't have an off season program. And so, you know, uh, sometimes the book isn't necessarily written on all those guys. Where do the linebackers um, this year, it seems like they're not as bad, many being talked about as much like, say, like Devin Lloyd and like Kobe Dean. What do you feel about, like, from general manager's perspective, what do you feel like the value seems to be going down with those guys in that position? Do you ever foresee it being sick of being up there? There's there's different guys at that position. And when you talk about off-ball linebackers, um, their value in the passing game is important. And so uh, there's different values in the passing game. Obviously, um, pressuring the quarterback, being able to blitz and create pressure is an important a part of that too. But um, being able to match mirror routes, being able to make plays in the passing game, I, I think is an important part of that too. Um, being instinctive. So um, you're talking about really good players that you just mentioned, obviously. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't know what the attention is going on in the media, but I know, um, you know, this is a good linebacking class. And I think there, there'll be a lot of good players that come Howie, out. Howie, four first rounds over, the, over your um, career as GM, 
uh, you've done better in pre-14 picks uh, versus post-14. Clearly, that's going to happen more often than right. not. But have you done a study saying that you guys are in the norm versus the rest of the league in relation to those picks? Or do you, is there something that's missing when you guys get past that pick? Number yeah, I, I think obviously, like, I, I hope we're, we're picking it in the late 20s and early 30s um, as much as possible. But when you look at, at the history of the draft and you really look at it by and you break it down into like um, 1 through 10, 11 through 20, 21 through 32 – the, the hit rate's going to decrease naturally. And why is that? Well, one, I don't know that there's any draft, and I don't know that you'd find any team in the league who's going to say, I got 32 first-round grades on guys. I got you know, 32 blue players. I got 32 potential pro bowlers. It's never going to happen. So at every draft, there is a cutoff on difference makers, right? And so that doesn't mean you're going to be right on the difference makers. I mean, think about all the top 10 picks that haven't worked either. But usually those guys who have such a unique skill set, such unique tools in their body, that they have a different chance to hit than other guys. And so I think that um, the higher you pick, the better chance you have of obviously getting a player who's got the full complement of skill sets, good production, good tools in their body, good character. Those guys go really quick on draft day. And as you go through the draft, whether it's in the first round, second round, third round, fourth round, fifth round, it gets harder just naturally because, you know, the 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 amount of players – the, the funnel gets smaller. I also think, and, and um, I had this conversation with, you know, probably maybe one of the greatest GMs in NFL history um, at, on a beach a, a long time ago. And it was like 10 years ago, my draft board and your draft board were going to be different, right? We had scouts go to these small school places. Not everyone knew anything. I don't even know if it's 10 years ago at this point, 15 years ago, right? And so the, the top 100 players on my board – May, you may have 75 of those guys. But now we're basically in the information age where that everyone really knows who the players are, who the top 100 players are going to be. Now, that doesn't mean we have them in the same order. But there's not as many surprises. There's not as many, wow, like I, I don't know where that guy came from. We were talking in our draft meetings like, you know, I know um, – in 2007, 2008, I remember watching guys, you know, like, uh, is it a desk that you put in the computer? You used to watch guys and use your computer to kind of go through it. Like, you know, you you were going through those guys and shoot, we drafted a guy, Andy Studebaker. I mean, you go talk to Ryan Grixon. Ryan Grixon brought us a freaking DVD of Andy Studebaker. That's That was the first look at Andy Studebaker before we gave it to Doc and freaking put it in, in the system. Well, that ain't happening anymore, right? Like, everyone's going to know that guy. So I think the process has changed. Um, what's my point in all this? Maybe not much, but I think that at the end of the day, what we're saying is like all, everyone's getting all this information, right? So it's not where all of a sudden, you know, I promise you one thing, whoever we take in the third round, you're going to freaking know, right? Uh, like you may not have a couple of years ago, Chris Gokong, maybe you looked for and go, man, I got to find freaking Cal Poly stuff. So all this information is at your finger, at your fingertips. And so it just makes everything narrower and your margin for error narrower. Jeffrey mentioned that Zach had a question for Nick. He just wants to get me involved. Get in the ball early. Get in the ball early. On the pro day circuit, if you will. What's your personal approach to scouting? How familiar do you get with all the prospects? And how hands-on are you in the meeting? Um, yeah, I mean, I like to, to watch as many guys as I possibly can, knowing that my uh, expertise is more on the offensive side. That doesn't mean I'm not watching the defensive side, but 
Uh, my expertise is more on on that side, especially with the skill players, with the quarterbacks, with the receivers, with the tight ends, with the running backs. Um, but, you know, I feel like I'm able to give some good perspective on the defensive players as well in the sense of what it's like for an offensive coach to game plan against. That, that's kind of how I, I right to go about defensive players. Like, what is it going to be like for an offensive coach to game plan against this defensive coach? So want to try to get my eyes as many guys as possible, knowing where my expertise are. Uh, as far as knowing the player, I think that's really important. Obviously, I can't um, physically talk to every single player in the draft, but I want to be involved as many in as many as the, of the Zooms as I possibly can be, uh, as many of the uh the um, 30 visits, you know, when they come in, come in here, uh, the combine interviews, the senior bowl interviews, you know, cause I want to know the person as well and, and how that, and how that fits uh, in for us. So um, yeah. Is that, did I answer your question? Zach? Okay. He's got a passion for it, Zach. He, he loves doing it. He loves watching football. He loves talking about it. He's got a passion for it. Um, though he did tell me today that to remind me that the off season pro- program starts on Monday. <laughs> Jeffrey had mentioned at the owners meetings the importance of psychological testing uh, as part of this evaluation. Uh, can you take us into that process as much as you can, kind of what you're looking for? And then Nick, having been at a couple different previous stops, maybe something that's different about, about what you see here with that component. We, we try to dig deep into uh, the background and the character and uh, the really the, the first credit to that goes to our scouts. You know, all the, the guys that are on the road all year, they do a tremendous job of being experts in, in their school and in their players. And so um, they're the ones who really alert us to some guys that we may need to spend extra time with. Um, then uh, all you guys know Dom, um, and there's nobody better in the National Football League than Dom DeSandro about um, getting to the bottom of guys and figuring out guys and and talking to guys and um, understanding who are risks and who are fits uh, for this team. He knows our team backwards and forwards. He knows the players that fit um, for our culture, for our team and our city. And so uh, very fortunate to have uh, those two pieces. And then um, we have experts who, who do um, at, talk to the guys that we have some questions on and, and try to get to the bottom of it. You know, it's Coach and I can think we're good interviewing players, but at the end of the day, like we didn't go to school for it. You know, we don't have that area of expertise. And so um, we we try to do that and and really put up just like we do a player evaluation. Um, we try to do a character evaluation on, on all these guys. And now some of them are easy, right? Like some of them are really easy. It's not too hard to figure out a three-time captain, you know, in the SEC. And, um, you know, Devontae didn't take long to figure out, right? Like Landon didn't take long to figure out. But some of these guys, they're complicated. And so uh, we spent a lot of time talking about uh, them and, and getting as much background and talking to as many experts as we can to try to figure out the person as much as the player. Hey, Nick, to kind of follow up on Zach's question before, just last year at this time, obviously you're the head coach for the first time, getting your feet on the ground. Has there been an evolution to you and your staff for this process? Is it a little bit easier the second time around? Um, yeah, I mean, of course, because you're not, you're not showing for the first time, uh, you're not going through the process for the first time together. I think, uh, one thing I know that coaches in my past have prepared me for is to, is to be able to clearly, um, you know, clearly define what you're, what you see and how you're going to use a, use a player. And so, um, you know, I think that's just the, the, the thing that's made it easier is, you know, 
you guys already know what how we're going to use guys and and that doesn't mean you don't continue to have those conversations or they don't evolve they don't change a little bit here and there uh because you're constantly about you're changing your you're constantly changing your process you're constantly you know tweaking it to make it better and so there, those conversations happen but you know mostly you know that you know the conversations of hey this is how we would use a player with this skill set um, it'd be, you know, here, here's what we would do. How do you use them? Here's a player in the past. How have you, we've had those. Um, and so we're just continuing to build on that and, uh, um, that we, that we started last year. Program question in, why the late start and why fewer practices than 11? Fewer practices than who? Then you're permitted. To add oh. <laughs> oh, I thought you said Atlanta. Um, well, you know, again, a lot of everything that we do is going to be thought out of, of with the players' health and safety in mind very first. And uh, and so that was one thing we we, uh, we felt like, you know, we did a good job last year of staying healthy, um, you know, for different reasons and uh, and different uh um, thoughts of, and everybody's voice is going into it. I got to make the, the decision on, um, you know, as far as what the final decision is, but, um, we really felt like we benefited from some of those things that we did last year of, of the, the time length of the things that we did. We felt like we were, were able to get what we needed to get done in those, in those weeks that we had last year. Um, and so we wanted to be able to, you know, we know we we're going to be in, in person more this time um, and we're going to see him face to face more this time. Um, but we just wanted to do what we felt was co were comfortable for the player safe and healthy uh, or safety and, and health. And while also getting what we needed to get done. And we feel like, you know, we feel like that's where we are. We're comfortable with that's where we are um, with the amount of time that we're spending uh, in this offseason. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, and just how it relates to the to player health and, and the things that you guys have done. <laughs> Get into that too, no, I, I, you know, coach uh, talked to me about it, and I think it, what he's saying makes a ton of sense. So excited to get the players back on Monday. Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com Fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement. Here's the truth about AI. AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. ServiceNow puts AI to work for people across your business, removing friction and frustration for your employees, supercharging productivity for your developers, providing intelligent tools for your service agents to make customers happier, all built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Visit servicenow.com slash AI for people.